You know, birthing a new church is a lot like having a baby. Uh, not that I've ever had a baby, but I've been there. Uh, you know, when you have a baby, you're excited and you're nervous all at the same time, wondering, can we do this, and how's it all going to work? And then, then there's that great anticipation as the day approaches. As the day gets closer, you get more and more excited and anxious. And, and then once it all happens, you step back and realize it was all a miracle of God. And that's the way I feel about this church plant. <clears throat> God has given us a very special opportunity to partner with Tony and Beth Loseto in the city of Cleveland, in the old Brooklyn community of that, of that city, to help them plant Gateway Church in old Brooklyn. As I said a moment ago, today was their first launch service. Our team is up there. But the question I want to ask ourselves today, as, as the, one of the sending churches, as one of the the mother churches, if you will, the, the church that I want to ask Mount, or the question I want to ask Mount Airy today is this. Why does Cleveland need a new church? Now, there's two ways to answer that question. One is to look at the need, and the other is to look at the most effective way to meet that need. L- let me talk to you about the need for a moment. I'm just going to give you a few stats, not bore you with them, but a few stats to help you understand why we are in Cleveland today. There are 1.6 million people in Metro Cleveland. Now, I want to make sure that you're tuned in and you're following. So, how many people live in Metro Cleveland? 1.6 million. Did you know that in Metro Cleveland, only 8.5% of those people are affiliated with an evangelical church? Now, I did the math, and I did it a couple of times to make sure that I did it right because I couldn't believe the number I was seeing. But 8.5% of 1.6 million means that there are only 136,000 people affiliated with an evangelical church in Cleveland. In a city of 1.6 million people, there are 136,000 people affiliated with an evangelical church. Does that blow your mind? And again, I did the math. That means, if I figured it all correctly that 1,464,000 people are not associated with an evangelical church. 1.4 million people. Another way to look at that need is to just look at the number of churches as compared to the population. The church population uh, ratio in America back in World War I was at its peak. In World War I, we had, during that time frame... In America, we had one church for every 430 people that lived here. Pretty good ratio of churches to to population. One church for every 430. How many would guess that that ratio has changed a little since then? Yeah. Let's just talk about South Carolina before we even talk about Ohio. Remember in World War I, one one church for how many people? 430. You're listening very well. In South Carolina today... In South Carolina today, we have one Southern Baptist church for every 2,229 people. But in Ohio, we have one church for every 16,214 people. We're not keeping up with the population. We wonder why America is getting farther and farther and farther from God. Why is America getting farther and farther away from godly principles? One of the reasons 
is this. Most of America no longer goes to church. What's the most effective way to reach that group of people? That large group of people that continues to get larger. What, what is the most effective way to meet that enormous need? We believe that the evidence is very clear that the best way to reach people of Cleveland is by starting new churches. Listen to this amazing stat. On average, established churches like ours, on average, established churches baptize 3.4 people per 100 people that they have in the church. On average, churches like ours will baptize 3.4 people for every 100 people we have in church. New churches are much better than that. New churches baptize 11.7 people per 100 churches. You know why? They're hungrier. They have a desire to do something for God. They're not comfortable with what they have. They want to take the city for Christ. They want to reach out to a new area. They want to reach out to people. Uh, They're more intentional in what they're doing. And so they more than triple what established churches do as far as reaching people with the gospel. You see, this is a a fascinating thing that's true throughout all stages of life, that when you think about anything that's living, it usually always grows the fastest early in life. For example, puppies. Ever notice how fast puppies grow? I mean, it's just amazing, astounding, you know, especially if you get this little puppy, it's going to be a big dog, it doesn't take them long to start looking like a big dog. Because that's the way life is. In the early stages of life, that's where you experience the most growth. But what about babies? You look at your children one day and they're in that little cradle and you're holding them and they look so small and and you turn around three months later and now they can't fit into the clothes they were fitting into just a week ago. They're just growing like crazy. And and you go back and you look at the little clothes that you brought them home in and thought, she was that little? That was just like three months ago. Or they, they bring the grandbabies by. You haven't been able to see the grandbabies in, in a month. And, and all of a sudden, when they bring them by, the grandbabies have grown enormously, right? I don't know about that yet, but I, I hope one day to know about that. And, 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 you know, where you get to look at those grandbabies and say, my goodness, you've grown a foot since the last time I've seen you. See, here's, here's the thing I want you to understand. New things grow faster than old things. It's true in Sunday school. New classes grow faster than older classes. New churches grow faster than older churches. So the way that we believe it's that we can reach the cities of America strategically is to plant new churches there. And one of the cities we're focusing on, and we hope this won't be the only city we focus on, but one of the cities we are focusing on is the city of Cleveland, Ohio. And God has given us the exciting spiritual dream of helping to start a new church in that city that will take the gospel to a lost and broken city and help them come to Christ. Now, I'll give you one more stat before we open our Bibles. If it is true that new churches grow faster than older churches, and if it is true that there's an enormous need out there for new churches and enormous lostness in America, then this next stat will boggle your mind. There are today in the Southern Baptist Convention over 46,000 Southern Baptist churches. 46,000 Southern Baptist churches in every state in America 
over, and if you add the mission churches that we have, it the number gets up to over 50,000 Southern Baptist churches and missions. Of, I'm just going to let you guess for a moment. And Earl, you can't, you've heard it already, so you can't give the answer. Of that 46,000, let's say, churches, what percentage would you say are actually planting other churches? Just, just you know, just, you don't have to say it out loud, but just say, what percentage would that be? Well, just put, put some percentage there. Now, if we got to 50%, half churches planting, the, the, other, the other half not planting, probably that you would think, well, that might be where we are. No, go, go lower than that. How about 25%? Would 25% of those 46,000 churches be about the biblical business of planting other churches? Oh, we could change America if it was 25%, go lower than that. Well, surely 10% would, right? Surely 10% of the 46,000 Southern Baptist churches are helping somebody plant another church somewhere. Surely they're not just focused on their little interior Surely they're helping somebody. Surely at least 10% of those 46,000 go lower than that. Of the 46,000 Southern Baptist churches we have, less than 4% are planting another church somewhere. What we are doing in Cleveland, less than 4% of the churches in America Now, to help you frame that a little bit differently, think of it this way. Less than 4% of the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, less than 4% of the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention are doing what we read in the Bible. Open your Bibles and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Acts, go to the book of Acts. We're going to be all over the book of Acts today. I hope you've got your Bible. You can follow along. There's also one in the pew right there in front if you don't have one with you. Uh, But we're going to survey a lot of Scripture, and then eventually we'll land on one particular Scripture. Uh, But we're going to start in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. I'll give you the context. There is, at this time in the book of Acts, there is only one church. It's hard for us to fathom that, but at this time, there's only one church in existence. It's in the city of Jerusalem. And it says, verse 19, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution, that is, in Jerusalem, the church was being persecuted. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, Stephen was martyred for his faith. There in that one church in Jerusalem, they began to attack that church, especially Stephen. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, And I want you to notice this phrase. You'll see it again and again throughout the book of Acts. A great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Remember I told you that new churches grow faster? I think you see that same principle in the book of Acts. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord there in Antioch. 
news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, the only church at that time, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought there. It's the phrase again. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord there in that new church in Antioch. So at this time in history, we have two churches now. We have the church in Jerusalem, and now we have the church in Antioch. Now for the first time in in the history of Christianity, we now have two churches. We have doubled what we have. One to two. Verse 25, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church. There's that reference. We now have another church. And taught, and what's that next phrase? Taught what? Great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, when you read that, that's exciting to see how the church has grown from one to two and how great numbers of people in this new church are coming to faith in Christ. But God had bigger plans than just two churches. And so we fast forward to chapter 13. Chapter 13, we begin the story in verse 1. In the church at Antioch, there's that phrase again. This is not just a group of people, but this is now a church. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They, you know why they sent them off? Because God had bigger plans than just two churches. God had big plans in mind. And we begin to read about that in chapter 14. Fast forward for the sake of time to chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas in chapter 13 were sent off on a mission trip. Chapter 14, we begin to read a little bit about what happened on that mission trip. Chapter 14, verse 1. At Iconium, another place they went, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively, here's the phrase again, a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Isn't it interesting? We see that phrase again. Skip down to verse 21. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, this is a different Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in in each what? So now we've got several churches. Now we've gone from one church in Jerusalem to two churches in Antioch. Now we have, according to this text, we have churches in Lystra, in Iconium, and in the other uh, Antioch. Now, now we've grown to at least five churches. You see, God has bigger plans. Skip down to verse 26. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been com- committed to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. They finished their first mission trip. On arriving there, they gathered the church together, the church in Antioch, and reported all that God had done through them. 
and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, here's what happened. Paul and Barnabas, after they got back from that mission trip, they got all, all the folks together in that church in Antioch and said, let me tell you what God did. It's amazing what God did. We planted a church here, we planted a church in that city, and we planted a church in that city, and we planted a church in that city. And that was just the first trip. Everybody listen to this. That was just the first trip, the first mission trip that Paul took. Later, he took several other mission trips just like that to plant churches where the gospel was desperately needed. Now, here's the key question. Here's what I want you to think about today. How did Paul get started doing that? There had to be something. What, what was it that caused Paul to be such a committed church planter? What was it that caused Paul to have such a kingdom perspective? And the answer is in Acts chapter 26. And this is the text we're going to land on. Acts chapter 26. I'll give you the context of that while you're turning there. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is on trial before King Agrippa. What we're about to read is near the end of his life. And as he stands trial with King Agrippa near the end of his life, he's telling his story of how God changed the direction of his life. And don't miss this. Near the end of his life, he's telling his story of how God changed the direction of his life. We pick up his story in chapter 26, beginning in verse 9. He's telling about, first of all, what his life was like before he came to faith in Christ. And he says in verse 9, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus Christ, or Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. That's where the church was. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my boat against them. Paul did not like Jesus. He did not like Jesus' followers. He did not like the church. He did everything that he could to wipe them out. Many times, verse 11, many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession, notice that word, interesting word, in my obsession against them against Christians. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Isn't it amazing, ladies and gentlemen, isn't it amazing that the man who went from city to city to persecute Christians eventually went from city to city to plant churches? What in the world happened to turn him around like that? What gave him such a kingdom focus? Let's read about it and we'll find out. Verse 12, on one of these journeys where he was going to persecute Christians, on one of these journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, I was on the road. I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Then I ask, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Verse 17 and 18, read very closely with me, please. 
I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them for this reason. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. If you were to somehow talk to the Apostle Paul and say, Paul, you know, we, we've read your story. We, we've read what you, all that you did. We've read about all the churches that you planted and how you planted churches here, 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 and here. Paul, what was it that turned you around? Paul, what was it that made such a difference in your life? What, what was it that caused you to change the direction of your life? I think Paul would talk about that day when he had a, an encounter with Jesus Christ. And it might be, if you'll listen very carefully, that God will change the direction of your life today. It may be that this is the day that God wants to do in your life what he did in Paul's life. Now, based on Paul's story, his own testimony, I want to show you how you can live for something bigger than yourself. Because that's what happened to Paul. He decided to live for something bigger than himself. And I want to challenge you to give yourself away today. I want to challenge you to leverage what you have for the kingdom. I want to challenge you to leverage your life in a way that it counts for the kingdom. Here's what I want you to learn from Paul's life and testimony. It's very simple, but it's very clear in Scripture. What we learn from this encounter that Paul had in his testimony about that encounter, in fact, just read it one more time before I explain it. Verse 17, verse 18, he says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Here's what I want you to get today. This is what may change your life and challenge you to leverage your life for the kingdom of God. Here's what I want you to understand. There's only two kingdoms. There's only two spiritual realms. There's the kingdom of God, And then there's the dominion of darkness. And there are only two. That's what Jesus was talking about when he was talking to Paul in this verse. When he says in in verse 18, Open their eyes and turn them from what? From darkness to, to light. Because there's only two spiritual realms. Now, make sure you follow very closely what I'm about to tell you. There are only two spiritual realms. There there are those who are in darkness, and there are those who are in light. And those who are in the light need to help those who are in the darkness get out of the darkness. There's only two spiritual realms. There's the realm of God, and there's the realm of darkness. The realm of God, and the realm of Satan. And so he says, this is what I want want you to give your life to, Paul. Paul, this is what I want to challenge you to dedicate your life to. This is the goal of your life, to open their eyes because they can't see where they are. They can't see what they're in. They don't realize that they are in spiritual darkness. So here's what I want you to use your life for. Open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that so that your church might be full. Not what it says. So that you can make a name for yourself and lead the association in baptisms. Now, what it says. So that those who are in darkness, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified 
by faith in me. Do you know why we're planting a church in Cleveland? We're planting a church in Cleveland because there's only two spiritual realms. There's the realm of God and there's the realm of Satan. And those who are in spiritual darkness need somebody to help them understand there is a way out. Those who are in spiritual darkness need somebody to help them open their eyes so that those who are living in Cleveland who don't know Christ may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, this is where it's going to get real personal. Listen carefully. If there is just two spiritual realms, the kingdom of God and the dominion of darkness, if there are only two, think about this, then our decisions and our goals and our lifestyles and everything about us either advances the agenda of one or the other. He said, no, Pastor Keith, wait a minute. There's got to be a third category there, right? I mean, you got the, the kingdom of God and you got the kingdom of darkness. And if I'm not fully engaged over here in the kingdom of God, surely there's, there's kind of like a middle gray area, right? Oh, it would be great if there was. Wouldn't that be a comfortable place to live just in the gray area? Only problem with that theory is that it doesn't exist. You don't find it in your Bible. What you do find in the Bible is what we find in the story of Paul. There is the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of darkness. There is no neutrality. There is no, no middle area. And, and we are either advancing one or we are advancing the other. Tony Lucetto is in Cleveland today starting a new church because he decided to leverage his life in a way that counts for the kingdom. He's not in Cleveland today because it's a wonderful city to live in. He's told you before that it's called the mistake by the lake. It's not a wonderful city to live in. But he's in Cleveland today in the community of old Brooklyn because he's decided to leverage his life in a way that counts for the kingdom. Paul went on all these missionary journeys all over the world his known world because he decided to leverage his life in a way that would count for the kingdom. And God wants to do that in your life too. But I'll tell you what it takes. It takes a surrendered life. Go to John chapter 12, verse 24. Jesus talked about this. John chapter 12, verse 24. I tell you the truth. Now, this is Jesus speaking, a little Bible lesson. Whenever Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's like Jesus is saying, I want to make sure you get this. Don't miss this. This is very, very important. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and what? dies. It remains only a single seed. But if it does what? Dies. It produces many seeds. Is your life producing one seed 
the one that you're holding on to? Or is it producing many seeds? The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. I would underline that in my Bible if I were you. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. You see, a surrendered life is where I decide to live for something bigger than, I, than myself. A surrendered life is where I decide to die to me and mine. A surrendered life is where I decide, you know, there's only two spiritual kingdoms. And I'm going to live for the kingdom of God. And I'm going to leverage my life and my resources for the kingdom of God. And that's going to look different for, for, for every person, but each one of us can do that. If you know Christ as Savior, you need to wrestle with what does it look like for me to leverage my life to live for the kingdom of God. Because there's only two spiritual realms. And if I'm not living for the kingdom of God, then I'm advancing the spiritual darkness. God reminded me of this um, just yesterday. I, I put my hand in my pocket and I had some quarters. And um, I looked at one of them and it was one of those state quarters, you know what I mean by the state quarters? Remember when all the state quarters came out and you were trying to collect a quarter for every state and uh, you probably did like we did. Uh, we had these uh, these little cardboard things and, and you could put the little quarters in there and we tried to get every quarter for every state for all three kids. I'll tell you something, when you're trying to do that for three kids, anytime you get change in your hand, you're looking. You're flipping quarters over every time you get change. First thing you do is start flipping quarters over, trying to see if you've got another. And then if you get one, it's like, hey, hey, I got one. Honey, do we have this one? Do we, do we have this one? Do we have this one? Do we, do we need this one? Well, Kelly has it, but I don't think Jonathan... Well, here, here. And you get excited because you found another one. Got another one you can put in the book. You're getting closer to finishing that thing, right? And we used to do that. We used to get excited about it and look for them, and, and it was fun to find them and all that kind of thing. You know, I got this one yesterday. I didn't get excited a bit. I didn't call Lisa. I didn't show it to her. I didn't say, does Kelly, Lauren, Jonathan have this one? I just, you see, the state quarters are something I, I'm just not focused on anymore. Used to be focused on it. I'm not focused on it anymore. So that, that just, I see it, but it doesn't excite me. When you're kingdom focused, then you're looking for lost people. When you're not kingdom focused, you see them, but it just doesn't excite you anymore. Just not focused on them like you used to be. Don't look for them like you used to look for them. There's a time you did time you were concerned about those who didn't have faith in Christ. There was a time you, you went visiting. There was a time you would invite people to church. There was a time you'd go on mission trips. But, but you've done that now. Those days are past. You've kind of lost your interest in that. If 
There's two kingdoms. There's the spiritual kingdom. There's the dominion of darkness. And what you do with your life determines which one you're advancing. I told you yesterday God really showed me this. He not only showed me that with a quarter, but he showed me that through a text message. I was at the hospital yesterday with a family, one of our church members, very critically ill. And I was there for a while with the family, and, and, and there's one individual, uh, uh, this particular person's grandson, that I've seen many times at the hospital. and uh, he, He's just kind of there. But on the way back from the hospital, I'd only been gone about five minutes. and I just left the hospital about five minutes ago. My phone went off, and I looked at it. It was Debbie Baker. And Debbie had been at the hospital previously before me. And she said, with great excitement, she said, Keith, I don't know if you're still at the hospital or not, but Timothy prayed to receive Christ today. So if you see him, I want you to be sure to encourage him while you're there. I text her, but Debbie, that's great. I'm so glad to hear that news And I thought, I've been around Timothy many times. And it never even occurred to me to talk to him about Jesus. See, after a while, this doesn't mean as much to you as it used to. It's so easy. To lose your focus. Paul spent the rest of his life focused on one thing leveraging his life for the kingdom of God. May God help us do that. May God help us to focus again on what really matters. May God help us to focus again on what we used to focus on. I want you to bow your heads. I want to pray with you. I want to invite you, before I pray, I want to invite you that I'd love to see you at this altar today. Not not just for show's sake, but I'd love to see you here praying about God's will in your life. Praying that you'd be focused again on advancing God's kingdom. That you would be willing to be like that kernel of wheat and die so that God can use your life to bless many. Praying that you would be willing to leverage your life for the kingdom of God. Like the Apostle Paul and like Tony Lucetta and Beth. And then I also want you to pray here today with me uh, for our, our new church plant. Had a great first service thankful for that. You can just come and thank the Lord for that great first service and you can pray that God will continue to use them to reach the people who are in Cleveland. The thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are still in spiritual darkness. So whatever you need to pray about, I invite you to join me at the altar today. Father, help our church. be focused again on what really matters. Thank you for the partnership that we have with Tony and Beth, that you've led us to partner with them. Thank you for reminding us through this partnership that what we do matters, 
How we spend our time matters. How we use our resources matters. Help us, oh God. Awaken us again to those who who are in that spiritual realm of darkness. Remind us again, Lord, that people in Powdersville need Jesus too. In Christ's name I pray.